Well, welcome to our new series, The Cross-Centered Life. I'm really excited about what God is going to do um, in this season. You'll know that we're in a season of discipleship. Um, it's not that we come to the end of discipleship at the end of this season. It's just as a particular focus that God has for us that we are going deeper in our relationship with him, asking him to direct us in our steps with him. And so as we look at discipleship, we thought, well, surely the best place to be looking is the cross. And what we're going to be doing over these number of weeks up until Easter is we're going to be looking at the cross from various different angles and basically saying, God, what can we learn from the cross as Christians? As we look to go deeper in our relationship with you, what can we learn from the cross? So let me just pray as um, God just gently softens our hearts in preparation. So Father God, I just pray that at, right from the outset of this series, God, of looking at the cross, would, you, would this not just be simply a series of teaching, but would this be a transform, transformational series of teaching as we don't learn things in the natural of just thinking, oh, that's interesting, oh, I'll go and check that out. But God, that you speak to our hearts through this teaching. God, I pray that when we come around to Easter, God, we'll be able to look around and even at ourselves and see an amazing transformation in what you've been doing in our understanding of you and your precious love. Amen. Well, in the 1990s, the symbol of the cross became pretty popular. It became fashionable, believe it or not. Um, stars like Madonna, who's now probably in her 60s, and P. Diddy in his 50s or whatever new name he's decided to call himself, um, never left home without it. It was a, a blingy kind of jewellery that they wore. And then as time went on, more and more celebrities in the 90s seemed to pick up this fascination with the cross. And so you saw many more kind of celebrities turning up at big events and movie premieres. And um, then it started to be a case that having a tattoo of the cross became popular. And again, some old school fa famous people of David Beckham, Justin Timberlake, Mel C, Robbie Williams, Angelina Jolie... Britney Spears started to get the cross tattooed on them. Anyone else feeling a bit nostalgic for the 90s and the noughties? I'm sorry for those of you who are around 25 or less. Um, you're thinking, these are people in their 50s, 60s and 70s. They are ancient. But this was when, in the, in the time in the particular West, that the cross became a trendy symbol. And then as our celebrity-obsessed society in the UK and the West, people followed suit. And so everyone was wearing the jewellery and, um, and tattoos. And I've seen interviews of people saying, why are you wearing a cross? And they're like, oh, it's cool. You know, has it got any significance? No, none at all. It was just an icon. And... Uh, and I almost, in a sense, apologise for this next screen of the cross became just another logo or symbol to the world like you would have Che Guevara for revolution, Mickey Mouse, Apple, Playboy, Coca-Cola. It was just simply a, oh, that's cool. Don't know what really what it is, but 
if Jay-Z's wearing a cross, I feel like I should be as well. And so, so that's what we, we had. But what's even more baffling, the fact that society was adopting the cross as a cool symbol, even though it hadn't registered what it was, was that amongst, um, amongst the churches across the West, the cross seemed to be being downplayed in its significance. You see, Christianity in the UK has always been here for, well, for a long time, well over a thousand years. And so we're a Christian nation that has our foundational principles built on the fact that the cross, Jesus, and the church were central to our society. So if you look at anything when it to do with health and social reform, you know, when we look at the educational system, when we look at the laws put in place, they were built upon the Bible. And so we'd always had a Christian nation. But what started to happen in the, the 1970s, and I'm giving you a whistle-stop tour of maybe some of the changes that have been happening in the UK... But in the 1970s onwards, the UK increasingly and initially slowly started to turn its back on Jesus. It started to take Jesus and, and the cross and the Bible as things that rather than being foundational to our society in the UK, it started to come up with other ideas that were coming around and it started to, to push the church a little bit out to the edge. And so what we've seen is that the, the, the UK is now referred to as post-Christian. That it's no longer a society where the Bible is front and centre, where the cross is front and centre. And we would now be called a secular society. Secularism is a way of life and thinking that rejects religion. So if you're a secularist, you think God is nonsense. You think going to church, praying is a waste of time. You'd think the cross was simply a piece of jewellery rather than um, an incredibly, well, the, the, you know, surely the most important um, event in human history of Jesus dying on the cross. And so as we've moved from a society that has been Christian to post-Christian and secular, um, the Bible's authority in society has reduced. In fact, it's been pushed out to the margins. It's been pushed out to the margins. And there's been a real huge change in the understanding of truth. You see, for all of the time that we were a Christian nation, and I say this of the, the UK and particularly the Western church, that was built on the Bible, is that there was something called absolute truth. And absolute truth means... It's something is true regardless of how a person feels about it. It's true. You might not like it, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Jesus is God's son. He came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose three days later, and he died for the sins of humanity. The Bible is God's word. These are absolute truths. But what we started to see is the rise of secularism, and I'm throwing quite big words out here, but this sense of a postmodern culture is that relative truth started to come in. And relative truth is the belief that truth changes based on the individual's understanding of it. So those who hold that truth believe that truth is something personal and relative to them. And so truth isn't the same for everyone. It's what you make truth to be. 
And we've seen this explored recently. And you'll hear people say, oh, this is my truth. The fact that my truth and your truth can be completely different, it's okay. Because there's no absolute truth. It's all relative. So you can just pick and choose what you want to believe. It's interesting as... As I was chatting with, with Pastor Dave the other day, we were talking about heaven and, and hell. And the thing is, is when you go from a perspective of relative truth, where you piece together all different bits of religion and belief that you like the sound of, people aren't putting in the, the fact that there's sin and that the, there is a price to pay for that. You just take all the nice bits, don't you? You don't want that challenge. People don't want that challenge if they don't know Jesus. So there was this sense that truth is, not, is, uh, truth is not out there to be discovered. Truth is to be, sat, be found inside each and every one of us as we just think through what do we like the sound of. And this teaching provides the bedrock of our education in schools and universities. Again, for those of you who wouldn't necessarily connect with Madonna or P. Diddy, the thing that you will see differently is that you will have been raised in an educational system that is very different to one that maybe someone like myself, 40-plus, would have been raised in. The way of thinking is much more a case of, well, what, what's, what's, what's true for you? How, how do you want to incorporate that into how you view things? Um. But the golden ruler of relative truth is you should not challenge someone and say that they're wrong. Because what happens is if someone has their own truth, for you to come and say, that's not true, then you're actually saying to them, you're wrong. And, and, and our society has this weird sense now that no one can actually say, you're wrong. You're wrong. You know, we'll see it in the media with certain kind of politicians and other things that, you know, people almost delight in the fact that because they can't challenge their neighbour so much, when someone who's high profile does something that's regarded still by society as wrong, oh, people love to jump on it and absolutely rip people apart. Philip Schofield being one, that someone who's, yeah, made mistakes, but then it's a case of like, oh, here's an opportunity where we can all agree that someone is wrong. And so... Many people are committed to this idea of personal truth and that the claim, and so anyone who comes with a sense of absolute truth is viewed with scepticism and suspicion. And this is why I was saying that, the, 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 certainly not in this church, but overall the, there's a movement where some churches and some Christians have started to look at the cross and the fact that what does the cross represent? It represents that Jesus died for our sins because we are sinful, because we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so the prospect of actually talking about the, the cross in a world that doesn't like to be challenged anymore becomes very difficult. And so, you know, the truth is, is for a church perspective, if you just start, if you cut the cross out and just start talking about, you know, Jesus' love and, and, and his relationship that he wants to have with us, absolutely key obviously but without the cross it leads it loses all sense of what it is Jesus doesn't want to just be buddy Jesus and come round and say hey I'll encourage you I'll tell you some good stuff no the thing is is he actually needs to say look you've made a mess of things you've fallen short of what God has asked you to look 
let me teach you about my forgiveness. Let me teach you that I went to the cross and died for your sins so that you could be forgiven and redeemed. And then out of that, out of the fact that you, you know, revere me, that you raise me up, that you regard me as holy and yourself as broken, then we get all those, the joys of the relationship with God and him showing us what to do. But cut the cross out, it just becomes a kind of a, you know, a nice message. A nice message. And so the truth is, is if you want to get a church um, that maybe sees some initial growth, is if you start to cut the cross out and you just make it all about, this is all brilliant, you won't have any problems, don't worry about sin, sin doesn't really matter. The thing is, is you might be able to get more people coming into church, and I know of churches that have done this. But the problem with that is then when you've got a church with a bunch of people that it's become so seeker-friendly to say, just come in, and we won't really challenge you, then the problem is, is those churches can't grow and mature and become disciples of Jesus because you've set the benchmark so low that it's very hard to get above it and you know the truth is is we've all probably had conversations with our friends family neighbors colleagues where you want to speak you're sharing the gospel with them but the prospect of you saying look there is only way to God and that's through Jesus you see for people who don't know Jesus and particularly who've been raised with this sense of relative truth, then you come across as arrogant, rude, offensive. Who here wants to be arrogant, rude, and offensive? <laughs> I hope in the sense of the gospel. Um, but, but in a sense of we don't want to be that. Rude, arrogant, and offensive aren't words that we attach to being Christians and following Jesus. But the truth is, is we're just showing the truth. But if someone doesn't want to hear that truth, you kind of think, mm, can I not just steer away? Can we just not really mention the cross? And the truth is, is there's been plenty of, of different churches and Christians that have kind of downplayed the cross. But what you'll find is any church that, do, that, that starts to ignore the cross will start to decline. Because God says the cross is front and center. Christians need to be living a cross-centered life. And so um, that's why it's, it's so important that, that we're aware of that. You see, I, I spoke, there was a guy who visited our church a couple of years ago. And he came and he was a recent university graduate and he'd studied psychology. And so, so I said, you know, let's go out for a coffee. Um, so that week we went out for a coffee and I was chatting to him and I was very conscious of all the changes going on in the education system. And I said to him, you know, like, what's it like to be a Christian at university with all this sense of absolute truth and relative truth and everything just getting mixed up? And he started to share his, you know, how he'd found it. But very quickly I realized that his understanding of the gospel didn't involve the cross. In fact, it was a very messed up, distorted theology that had taken a lot of sort of psychology that he'd been studying and created this sense of, well, I like that bit, but I don't like that, so we'll kick that out. And when I challenged him, and I did so gently and humbly, it was like his face looked as though I'd spat in his face. The very notion that I might say, hold on, what about the cross? And 
what you're saying isn't actually biblical. He, he didn't say it, but his face said, how dare you challenge my belief? Even though this was someone who was supposed to be walking with God. And, and, and it, it saddens me to know that through a, you know, a mutual acquaintance that the guy never came back and he's not walking with God. That's what happens. If we start to water down the gospel message, if we start to take the cross and push it to the side because it's a bit uncomfortable, what happens? Eventually we'll drift. And we'll drift and we'll drift until we either just warm the pews and do nothing else or we just say, forget it, I'm going. Because a, a, a faith that doesn't see the cross as central means that when you make a mess of something or when you go through such difficulty... You're not, able, you're not tapping into the powerful nature of Jesus' death and resurrection. You're just trying to draw other things from around, you know, the, all the wider things. Now, Jesus' teachings and his relationship and, you know, all, all what the Bible show teaches, they are obviously the word of God. They are essential for us as Christians. But we don't start with the wider stuff. We start with the cross, the cross of Christ. So we've um, so the, the scripture just to encourage you when you can challenge people is two Timothy two. God's servant must not be argumentative, but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps cool, working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey. You never know how or when God might sober them up with a change of heart and a turning of the truth. So don't go to them. You're wrong. Pointed in the face to say, not sure about that. Where does it say that in the Bible? Open the Bible, start to, to challenge. And if someone doesn't want to hear, the response isn't, you don't keep attacking them, you just say, okay. And you know, you think and pray for them. So I'm conscious that for many of you, you may be you know, thinking, yeah, when I share my faith with people, I don't really mention the cross, I don't mention sin. Can I say is you're missing the most important aspect of the gospel? The gospel is the cross. Take the, take the cross out. It's not the gospel. Because if Jesus didn't die and wasn't, wasn't raised from the dead, then we are still going to be held account for all of our wrongdoing before God. You have to have the cross. You know, the thing, when I first came to City Church, I'd come from a, a, another really great church that was that was big, that had a great budget for technology and the visuals and the, the band. And I came to City Church, first of all, if I'm honest, and I was like, oh. <laughs> it's not got the smoke machines, which, again, was uh, out of date now. It's not got a 10-piece band with the, the top everything. Um, but do you know what it did have? It had people who loved Jesus and the cross was centre. That's why you're in City Church today, not because... We've got a 20-piece band and we have a, an LED screen that's a 1,000 inches. I hope for those things, and they're good things. We would love those things here at City Church. But you're here because there's a genuine humility and love for Jesus, and that's why you're here. That trumps anything else. When there's a people who follow Jesus and put the cross central, that's when people get saved. That's when people get added to the community for real Again, have all the wider stuff, it's great. But if you've just got that and you've not got the cross at the centre, it'll fade out. Um, 
yeah, and there's this sense that, that what we need to make sure is we don't want to turn people away. We don't want to offend people. But the gospel is offensive. The gospel says you're living your life wrong and you need to reorientate your entire life around Jesus. It says in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny, take up, you know, some of this that's heavy. They aren't things that people want to do, but we've got to put the challenge. And for me, I imagine this conversation that if, if there was such a thing as the Christian faith, you know, you could sit down with someone who was the Christian faith and you said, look, in one word, tell me the gospel. The only answer is the cross. The cross is the pivot. It, it, it's, it's where everything comes together. So the cross is centered. Now, the, you know, this, this person representing Christian faith will then say, can I have a few more words? Because I need to tell you what the cross is and the fact that Jesus died and, and was raised and, and gave us all the whole spectrum of what it is to be a Christian. But the, the gospel summed up in one word is the cross. And um, Paul focused on the cross. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Paul focused on the central point. Not that he was ignoring the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. He'd go on in 1 Corinthians to unpack those. But he said, look, I need to focus on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15 for what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Of first importance, Christ died for our sins on the cross. You see, the cross itself was just a piece of wood. The cross itself is an inanimate object that it's not the actual cross. It's who died on the cross that matters. It was the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And the mysterious thing is that our society has picked up the cross as a, a cool symbol, but actually it was, a, it was an object of torture. And that's why we, we have, you know, the cross here to just be reminded constantly that Jesus went through, well, went to hell. He went through torture so that we could be forgiven. Now, City Church is always going to be a church, this is slide 21 if you need it, uh, that will always preach the gospel in its entirety. It will always preach the gospel in its entirety, preaching of the cross. The day we, well, it'll never happen, but if there was ever a day that the cross wasn't preached, we would start to see our effectiveness and impact in our own lives as a church and in this community wane. Now, if I'm honest, I'm concerned about what happens in the years to come. As our society, and we pray that this won't be the case, but as our society pushes Christ more and more to the fringes and brings beliefs that are just um, wholly unbiblical, I'm concerned that in the future years, that as a pastor, that if I actually speak the gospel its entirety, 
will I then be prosecuted? Will I be sent to jail? If it happens to pastors, it will then trickle down and happen to the rest of the congregations, Christians. Um, and that, that does concern me, not where I'm kept up at nights. Does it mean one day the church in the UK has to go underground like it does in China? I mean, we're, not, we're a long way from there, but if you look at our society 30 years ago to where we are now, there's been a massive decline. So is that the case? Well, if it is the case, what happens when a church has to go underground? When it's persecuted, revival breaks out. No one wants to be persecuted. No one wants to go underground. But if God sees it to be so, revival will almost certainly break out across this country. So you might be saying at this stage, James, okay, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. That's good. Let's keep the cross at the center. Um, but you might be thinking, okay, James, I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus. I understand the cross. Why are we focusing on the cross? Like, I understand it. Let's keep going. What, what other stuff is there? And my response would be, we absolutely teach the whole gospel. We teach about what it is to be a Christian, how to walk in the ways of Jesus, how to, to live with one another. But we never move on from the cross. If we move on from the cross, then everything else doesn't have its foundation upon which it should be built. So the cross will always be in our teaching. This season of discipleship we're in, again, I said as we started that we don't get to a stage where we say, right, I am now the complete true disciple. I am done. I don't need to hear any more teaching. No, being a disciple is an ongoing daily journey until the very day we die and go to be with Jesus, that he's teaching us and showing us. And if we ever got to a stage where we thought, I'm the real deal, well, then straight away you've got to deal with arrogance and pride and deception. And like discipleship, is always a journey on the cross is always a journey that we're learning more about we never get to a stage where we can say i understand the meaning and the significance of the cross entirely that is why you'll have heard hundreds of messages undoubtedly about the cross but we don't just say right you've heard it let's move on we say look we're just going to spend this time where we're going to focus on the cross and so over this time, over this next three months, we're going to look at the cross from different angles. We're going to look at, at, at what it means. What it means as Christians to, to keep learning and more. And the Bible is the living word. So it's never a case we've done and we've learned everything we can. God has more for us. You see, God's grace is something that really on paper does not make sense. Undeserved favor. And so as we do things and, you know, and we sin and we make a mess of stuff and we're conscious, wow, I don't deserve this. And then God says, but I forgive you. What we're actually doing is we're not using our mind to make a logical connection. God's speaking to our hearts to say, look, grace, whilst it goes through the mind, it needs to connect with your heart and spirit. And so that's why we're looking at this series on the cross. So if you maybe think that you've heard enough on the cross, can I say that let God speak to you to say, no, you've not. 
Because saying I understand the cross is like saying I completely understand, understand Jesus' love. You could give your life to the age of Jesus at five and live to 105. And every day on that journey, God has more to teach about his love. In fact, when we get to heaven, there'll be a, there'll be a situation where God can fully reveal his glory, where our human minds on earth, I imagine, would just explode if he tried to share that stuff with us in our human bodies. So we'll always look at the cross and Jesus' love. So what I want to ask is, if any of you are thinking, well, I'm pretty high up on that scale of understanding the cross, let me ask you a question. Do any of the following describe you? You often lack joy. That you're not consistently growing in spiritual maturity. Your love for God lacks passion. You're always looking for some new technique, some new truth or new experience to pull the pieces of your faith together. Do any of those describe you? They describe me. They describe me because I'm so often aware of, gosh, why do I feel miserable? Why am I allowing my emotions to cloud all the good stuff that God's doing in my life to be like, oh, I've hurt my arm or, you know, I just feel a bit depressed. Oh, the weather's miserable. It's January. They're emotions. We don't let those determine who we are and how we do. We lack joy. How do we get joy? We seek God's face. You're not consistently growing. Who feels like that? You know, sometimes you have almost a growth spurt, but other times you'll be like, I don't want to pick up the Bible. Anyone else feel like that sometimes? Oh, I just can't be bothered. I, I, I'm tired. I just want to watch telly. Just want to sleep in. Look, I'm a pastor. I'll say those things to myself. The thing is, though, it's going beyond on that and actually going to God and saying, God, I'm struggling with this. And he might say, well, look, why don't you listen to the word? Why don't you have some time of worship? Why don't you go and be with some other Christians and have prayer? God's always got more for you. So as you learn to live a cross-centered life, you learn to break free from joy-robbing legalistic thinking and living you'll leave behind the crippling effects of guilt and condemnation. I would say that God convicts. God convicts us of our sins so that we can be aware of it and, and ask for forgiveness. But he doesn't condemn us. The devil would have you believe that when you make a mistake, God condemns you and he wants you to feel intensely guilty. That's not true. God convicts and that leads us to highlight yes I'm sinful yes I need the cross would you forgive me as you learn to live a cross-centered life you'll stop basing your faith on your emotions and circumstances looking at this series we had last term emotionally healthy spirituality all the sense of teaching and trying to look at this iceberg to see that 90 percent of an iceberg is under the water. And like our journey as disciples, really 90% of our maturity and walk with God is the unseen. And so we want to be looking at the unseen. We want to be disciples who seek God's face and say, really, I'm not bothered what anyone else thinks. I just want to be seeking you. Would you speak to me? 
And as we do that, we move away from being unhealthy, um, un unhealthy spiritual uh, spirituality and our emotions, and we actually look to align our emotions that they're aligned in terms of our walk with God, rather than our walk with God coming in step with our emotions. We're all emotional people, but it's not the emotions that govern us, it's God's promises. And then, you grow, um, as you live a cross-centered life, you grow in gratefulness, joy, and holiness. Does anyone else in this, this run-up to Easter want to grow in gratefulness, joy, and holiness? Yeah. The best thing about Jesus, the best thing about the cross, the best thing about the, the, the gospel message of Christianity is it's not a religion of work-based fruit. If I work hard, if I do this, if I balance my yin and yang and I, uh, uh, and I kind of put more on the scale of being good rather than bad, then, then I might be forgiven. There's not even the certainty that other religions have. Hopefully, God will, will forgive me. No, the best thing about Christianity, the thing that defines it as the truth over any of the other lives of the religion is it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus did on the cross. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. So I hope, as I'm looking to close, I hope you're feeling with a sense of, well, I wanted more, James. Like, you've only just started, you, you've, you've talked about society and then you've talked a little bit about what the cross will do. I hope you have a hunger and a sense for more because we're not rushing on from this topic. So on the Wednesdays, we'll unpack further what we've heard on the Sunday, but we'll keep going in this. And we'll learn more about God's love and forgiveness that knows no bounds. Um, I would encourage you, again, to, to, have a, to get a copy of this, that the cross-centered life. It's not that we're a church that just follows teaching material, but there's some much wiser, intelligent, articulate people than, I'd say, me and Paul, who were able to spend a long time reading and studying and putting together some kind of structure and format where we're then able to look at it and say, oh, that's really good and that's amazing. So we're not following the book, we're following the word of, the, of God. But the Bible is the, is the basis of, of this book. So don't just read this book and that's it. Be reading your Bible, but this is a great book to follow along with us as we go deeper about learning more of the cross. Now, maybe as, as I close, what I want to ask is, you know, as, as we always have visitors, do you know Jesus? Because you may be here thinking, I like the sound of what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. But I'm listening and thinking, yeah, that, that sounds good that I actually, there's something in a sense in my heart of realizing there is more to life than I've been living and you want to invite Jesus into your life. Well, if that's you, I want to pray now for, to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life. Again, the most amazing thing is it's not that, you, that you're here and feel like, oh, I'm ready now to receive Jesus. I feel that I'm good enough. You'll never be good enough to receive Jesus. But it's not based on what you've done. It's based on his sacrifice and death on the cross. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if, you're, if you've never invited Jesus into your life but would like to, or maybe you're conscious that you've just wandered for months, for years, and you've, you know, 
almost the fact that the cross is, has been something that you've just put at the side and ignored and you've walked away from God and you want to come back. Then I'm just going to pray a prayer and if you'd like to, to, to re-invite or invite Jesus into your life for the first time, just follow uh, my words and pray this out. I just ask for a bit of privacy for those people who maybe are praying that for the first time. If you want to just close your eyes and bow your heads. This prayer is not between you and me. It's not between you and the congregation. It's between you and God. And so I'd encourage, there's a power in the words. You don't have to shout it out. You may just want to speak it in your heart or just speak it out quietly. But I'm just going to pray. And if you want to invite Jesus into your life, just follow. Dear Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice you made that you died on the cross for my sin and my brokenness. Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness and I want you to help me to start rebuilding my life so that I live a life that's centered on the cross, that's centered on your love, mercy, and forgiveness. Jesus, I give you my heart, and I want to follow your ways, now and for eternity. Amen.